0: Your love
1: on, child. Good Sunday morning and welcome to this edition of Get Your Love On Radio here on Remnant Radio 100.1. It's awesome to be with you this morning. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe, and it's so wonderful to be able to share the truth of God's love through His Word. And today's show, we are going to get a lot of word in us that is going to expand our faith and teach us the difference between phony religion and true faith in God Almighty and how that changes everything in our walk. So I hope you stay tuned for all two hours. We're here from 9 to 11 every single Sunday to feed your soul and to teach you the truth of who God Almighty really is and how to walk worthy of Jesus Christ of Nazareth because we get to every day. God wants that for us. God wants us walking in the Holy Spirit, in righteousness, and in victory every single day because that's what Christ accomplished. He delivered that to us and it's simple. It's just reading our word and believing it and doing it. First Corinthians 15 verse 57 we're going to get right into the word today we have an absolute freight train of godly knowledge for your soul to build you up and to get you marching on the path of an entirely new life so 1 Corinthians 15 57 it says but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ God's given us the victory. When Jesus Christ said, it is finished, that means those who believe on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and those who, if you love him, keep his commandments, we have that victory too. God's given it to us. It says in verse 58, therefore, once we understand that victory, once we get that really important piece of knowledge tucked in our soul. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that really interesting? Those words are incredible. Be ye steadfast. Once we have that victory of Jesus Christ in us, be steadfast, stick to it. Don't move. Be unmovable, actually. That's how strong that knowledge of Christ's victory is. It makes us unmovable. And I'll tell you, friends, once you get that true understanding, once you get the Holy Spirit tucked inside and you walk in that every day, you will be unmovable. The things of this life, the things of this world, the haughtiness of man, it becomes unpalatable. You're unmovable. And yes, When we have that victory through Jesus Christ tucked in our soul and we have that understanding, we will always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because the work of the Lord is ministering to one another. It is building each other up in the most holy faith. And we're going to hear more about that a little bit later on. So again, stay tuned for the whole show. It's so packed and it's so powerful and it really is wonderful. And again, we'll always be abounding in that work of the Lord. And guess what? That labor's never in vain. It's never in vain. We all have been in those places where we've worked really hard for something, and maybe you've achieved it, and you're like, dang, that is really underwhelming. That is really disappointing. Well, you can count on that never happening in your work of the Lord. When we put our hand to the work of the Lord, we can count on God always backing us up, always making the reward far above and so much more abundant than we can even ask or think. That's how we know our labor is never in vain in the Lord. So if you've got a, if you're weighing this life and you're thinking, okay, where do I spend my time? Do I spend my time working on things that may or may not pan out? Or do I spend my time on things that always succeed, that are always victorious, and that are eternally victorious and significant? I think that's a a pretty, pretty safe bet that Working for the Lord is always going to be highly, highly beneficial. And the thing we should spend our time on, the one thing that we should always be doing, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And it's easy once we have that victory of Jesus Christ, that understanding in our soul. It really is easy. In Psalm 60, verse 11, this is so important too, because again, God wants us to walk in this victory. That's why Christ went to the cross. That's why he endured all that suffering. It says, for the joy set before him, that's you and me. That joy is our souls walking in that pure victory. That's exactly what Christ saw is you and me walking in that victory and all those, all the other souls from his great victory into the future. He saw all of it walking in his eternal victory. That was that joy he saw. So once we get that, we'll know our labor is not in vain. And in Psalm 60, verse 11, it's important even further to really understand why relying on Christ for that victory is so important. Psalm 60, verse 11 says, give us help from trouble for vain is the help of man. <laughs> Again, that word vanity is uselessness. It's, it's futility. It's inconsequential. Yeah, man is is useless. And this also includes our own flesh. We also, our own flesh is, is useless to God. It's useless. So give us help from trouble. Whenever you're in trouble, whenever your heart is stooped, whenever you're thinking, I don't know what to do next, call out to God. Ask him. Why? Because verse 12, it says, through God we shall do valiantly. Isn't that incredible? We shall do valiantly through God. Again, in our own selves, not much, nothing, actually. And in one part in Isaiah it says, God considers all of it less than nothing. You'll hear that a little bit later on, too. But through God we shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. So this is in Psalm 60, verse 12. Well, Christ came and he did tread down all enemies. We have that victory through Christ. So 1 Corinthians 15, it is past tense. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. It's given to us. Boom. It's ours when we accept it, when we walk in it. It's ours. And isn't that interesting that in Psalm 60, verse 12, it's prophesied. That yes, God shall tread down our enemies. So, you feeling that strength of God Almighty, His eternal power? He is unchanging. That's never going to change. God's eternal victory is unchangeable. The one difference is whether or not we accept it for ourselves. God's already won, He's already eternally victorious. Jesus Christ came, it is finished, He's done. Do we accept the fullness? of that victory? Or do we allow Satan and various religious teachings to sort of start to break it apart and peel it away one little layer at a time? Well, this show is going to put it all back together for you and have us all marching in great victory and great confidence in God Almighty. How do we do that? Okay, step one. How do we walk in Christ's eternal victory? Because again, I'm going to say it one more time, just to really make sure that Satan knows that his head is under our feet and he is getting stomped on today. Satan is defeated for all eternity. Christ accomplished that. It's a done deal. How do we walk in that? Okay, great question. Step one is in Acts 2.38. Now we have a full Bible study We have a lot of Bible studies at getyourloveon.org that you can access to feed your soul and to dig in the word for yourself because that's what we all need to do to access this full victory in Jesus Christ is to get in the word ourselves, is to allow God to talk to us according to our own personality, according to our own experiences. God is very individual. He's very intent on making sure that each one of us know exactly who and what we are before him, okay? So be sure to go to getyourloveon.org, click on the Bible studies tab, and then review some of these Bible studies on your own, in your own time. And if you don't have a King James Version of the Bible, which is what all this is based on and all the Bible studies reference that, reach out to us. There's a contact tab at getyourloveon.org. We're happy to send you one. Just reach out to us. We'll help you with this. So there's full Bible studies that dive into Acts 2.38 and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But Acts 2.38 sums it up and summarizes it really well. So we're going to start in verse 37. Now it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? These are the people who crucified Jesus Christ. These are the people who... Who were healed, some of them were healed by Christ and then consented to his crucifixion. These are the people who betrayed the Son of God. They're asking Peter and the apostles, What shall we do? How do we fix this? Okay, Peter's answer is very simple and it's beautiful. Then said Peter unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The people who crucified Jesus Christ were counted worthy of these promises. That's what Peter said. Look, the promise is for you. Here's what you do. You repent, change your mind, Say, Lord, I want a new beginning. Wipe away that past when you're baptized in under holy hands for the remission of sins. That past is fully gone. It's remitted. That means you're freed. You are freed from the past, and nobody can bring it up again. God forgets it when we're when we repent and baptized. That's what cleanses us to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And even those who crucified Jesus were counted worthy of God's promises. And so were their children. And then all those are afar off. That's us. So if, if those who did that despicable, heinous act of torturing an innocent man, if they were counted worthy of God's promises to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Aren't we as well? Yes, we are worthy of it. And God wants us to walk worthy of it. Once we're filled with the Holy Ghost, God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, our hope of glory, our hope of valiance, we can then fulfill all that the Word has for us. We can then receive all of the promises. God has for us. We get to receive all of his love in its totality, never thinking, I'm not worthy of this. I, Why do I get this? Nope. We receive the Holy Spirit and we walk worthy of it. So we know we are worthy of it. And we have a true apostle of God who taught the word and who read the word. And so he said, wait a minute, there's nowhere in the word that diminishes the soul walking in the Holy Spirit. There's only promise and blessings for those who walk in the Holy Spirit. So don't ever allow anyone to tell you you're not worthy. When we accept Jesus Christ, when we repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, when we receive that gift of the Holy Ghost, we are worthy of those promises. We are. That's the word of God. I'm standing on the word of God. I'm not going to allow some phony religious doctrine that has been beat into the minds of people for generations. You're not worthy. Nobody's perfect. All the same thing. All the same crud. Same crap. It diminishes the soul. Nope, that's not what God does. God lifts us up. God makes us worthy. Again, through the flesh, there's nothing to stand on. But through God, he gives us everything to stand on. So once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what allows us to succeed before God Almighty. So in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus Christ is speaking here. He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Well, there's that pervasive lie. We're not worthy. Nobody's perfect. You hear it all the time. It's beaten into the it's beaten into everybody, but especially the Christian teaching. It's always there. And there, it's the same lie. It's the same devastating effect. It's separating us from that true love of God, that incredible, eternal power and authority and might that is through God. But when we have the Holy Spirit, we have Christ within, God sees us as perfect. That's how we fulfill the scripture. That's how we fulfill this commandment. It says, be ye therefore perfect. Does God ask us to do things we can't do? Does he set us up to fail? Absolutely not. He sets us up to succeed. He has given us the path for true victory. Now, the Greek meaning of this word perfect, when Christ said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father which is in heaven is perfect, the Greek meaning of that is complete, completeness of full age. This is a spiritual concept. This is not a natural-minded evaluation. This can't be, you you can't evaluate somebody based on their outward appearance. This is God's perspective, spiritually discerned. So if God sees us as perfect, once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, who is anyone to to say anything else? Who is anyone else to try to diminish that? Here's Romans 8 verse 9. Here's why it's so important to understand the difference between the natural mind and the spiritual mind, the difference between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9, Apostle Paul is speaking to those he is ministered to and those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This is very simple. This is very straightforward. When we have the Holy Spirit, we are not in the flesh. And God will build us up in the most holy faith. He will continue to add knowledge to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will continue to build us up and give us true friends and true fellowship to do so. But if this if we're not filled with the holy spirit then we're stuck in the flesh and very limited in our understanding very limited in what we can know and what we can see and what we can perceive so that's why when when all those people who were stuck in the flesh asked apostle peter what should we do how do we how do we fix this how do we get out of this stuck situation his answer was simple repent change your mind let's go from a natural mind to a spiritual mind And be baptized, wash away those sins, wash away that past. For the remission of sins, get free of it. That's why that instruction was boom, 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 simple, direct, but very profound and very important. It's because Romans 8 lines it out very clearly. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's a lot of so-called Christians walking around. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Newsflash. They're not a Christian. According to Romans 8, verse 9, this is not me saying this. This is Apostle Paul through the the Holy Spirit saying this. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Period. 10, verse 10. And if Christ be in you, guess what? If we do have the Holy Spirit, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. When we walk in the Holy Spirit, we have that gift of eternal life. We have that righteousness of Jesus Christ within us. So being in the flesh means never seeing perfection, never knowing true authority, never knowing true confidence or actual strength. Because we only have that confidence and that strength through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through accepting Christ's true victory for ourselves. So walking in the Spirit, well, that means God's true authority. That means the real confidence. That means actual truth, being able to discern truth from lies. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it means perfection. It means being complete and whole. Who, would want, who wouldn't want that? Again, perfection is not a natural evaluation. It is a spiritual thing. It is a, how God sees us. Well, I'm sticking with God's opinion. You can choose whose opinion you want to live by. I'm sticking with God's opinion. And guess what? Deuteronomy 18, 13, it says, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Isn't that wonderful? That kind of blows a massive hole in all that religiosity and all the nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not worthy. All that false humility, all that crap. (laughs) Ha ha. It says in Deuteronomy, thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Well, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then through the New Testament, we're instructed how this promise comes to fruition through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So anytime you hear, nobody's perfect, or anytime you hear, I'm not perfect, feel compassion for that soul because they don't know God. They don't know God. And, And you can... If there's an opening, you can explain to them, well, here here you go, friend. Do you want to be worthy? Because God says we get to be worthy. And actually, we're getting to it here in a second. God instructs us to be worthy. So we must be worthy. And it says right here, thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. And Christ says, be ye perfect. So there's that promise of, yes, we get to be worthy. Yes, we get to receive these promises. And then the instruction, hey, let's do it now. Now that Christ fulfilled that, that, and now that he is victorious, we get to walk in that. We get to take it on. So once we accept the Holy Spirit for ourselves, and yes, it does say another part in the word, word, to yield to the Holy Spirit. We do submit to God Almighty, right? We do. We allow God and His Holy Spirit to lead us in everything. And once we accept the Holy Spirit, then the natural mind, the way we've been used to looking at things, the way we've been used to evaluating perfection, like, oh, perfection means uh, you've, you've got to be 5'7 and 125 pounds, have a six-pack, and all these physical, external evaluations, that's gone. Once we accept the Holy Spirit, perfection is Lord God Almighty. Am I clean in your eyes? Yes. Thank you, Lord. That's all I care about. I'm perfect. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm walking in that. I'm perfect in God's eyes. The natural mind is gone when we accept the Holy Spirit. And the Lord continues that process. It is a process. He he builds layer upon layer, brick upon brick, and adds to us with that graciousness. So the flesh, it dies out, and we get to take on a spiritual mind. God's perspective, and we get to live in that every day. In Romans 8, verse 13, it's very clear too. It says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you continue to think nobody's perfect, I'm not worthy, and you continue to stick in that fleshly, limited understanding, there's one way to go. The outcome is already written here, but this is a really important but. If you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. When we reject that natural mind, when we say, no, I don't care what other people say about being perfect or being worthy, I care what God says about it, and I'm resting on the Word of God. I'm standing on the rock Christ Jesus. Jump off that teeter-totter of maybe God loves me, maybe not, maybe, maybe not, maybe I'm worthy, maybe not. Jump off the teeter-totter, stand on the rock, Christ Jesus. Boom. Walk forward. If, but, if you through the Spirit, again, we do need the Holy Spirit for all this. If we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. This is so important for walking in Christ, for walking with Christ to being a Christian at all, and to inheriting eternal life. This is why knowing we can be perfect and are to be perfect in God's eyes is also so important. Because God's ways, they're perfect and unified. There's no breaking up God. They're singular and they don't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 31, it says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. So you want all of God, start with trusting him. He'll protect you. For who is God? Save the Lord. And who is a rock? Save our God. God is my strength and power, and he maketh. My way perfect. That's how powerful God is. His ways are perfect, always unified and unchanging. And His power is so incredible. His authority is so incredible that when we believe Him, He makes our way perfect. When we trust in Him, He is that protector. That's what the word buckler means a protector, 360 degrees all around you. You are protected by God Almighty. He makes your ways perfect. So, yes to those that trust in him, to those that receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See the big difference between the religious world? They won't accept the Holy Spirit. They want to try to make God out to be something they want to make him to be. They want to define God according to their terms. And they want to define little g gods as well according to their terms. But God God is so much bigger than the religious world. He's He's awesome. He's so powerful. He makes our ways perfect. He is a buckler, a total protector. So yeah, when we walk in his truth and his authority, we walk worthy of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's right. We are worthy. Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Apostle Paul speaking, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Why on earth would God, why would Apostle Paul beseech us to do something that we weren't even capable of doing. So anytime someone tells you, you're not worthy, or anytime someone says, I'm not worthy, know that they don't know God. So we get to either pray for them, Lord, show them, give them the fullness of your scripture, or they've just chosen to believe the diminished version, the the fleshly version the very limited understanding. Paul is saying, could you walk worthy of the vocation? I am beseeching you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Why? Because Paul understands the great victory that that is, the great limitless life that gets to be. Now here's the key. Here's the key. Verse two. All right. How do we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called? And we have an amazing message that outlines in perfect detail what that vocation, what that job is before the Lord. It's we have such today's show is awesome. So thanks for being here, guys. But here's how we walk worthy of the vocation. In Ephesians 4 verse 2, it says, with all lowliness and meekness, lowliness and meekness. Yeah, when we understand the great gift of God the Holy Spirit that's in us, it is a very humbling experience because we understand the greatness of Christ's gift, the totality of the suffering that he endured to give us the gift. And it is a very humbling thing. It is not, it is not a beat your chest thing. It is very humbling And that's why it's so beautiful that, yes, we do get to walk worthy of it, but in true humility. (laughs) See, true humility allows us to be worthy of God's love, to be worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, and to be lowly of mind, and to be meek and humble, with long suffering, continuing in verse 2, with long suffering, with that patience, to know that God's ways are perfect. And God's ways are not according to man's ways. They aren't according to man's time frame or calendar. So we get to be long-suffering to allow God to do his work in his timing. It says, forbearing one another in love. Yep, we get to be patient with one another in love as well. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. Once we have that one Spirit in our mind, in our hearts, and in our soul, we will walk in God's one Spirit with the true authority. Even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all kind of ruptures denominational doctrine, doesn't it? (laughs) There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Let's make sure we're getting that one thing. Get rid of the religiosity. Get rid of the religion. Stick to your one faith. Stick to one God and Father of all. Know Him and watch how everything else falls into place. It all makes perfect sense when you've got one God, when you know your one Father. It all makes perfect sense. And it says in verse 7, this is Ephesians 4, but unto, uh, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Well, Christ is eternally victorious. So that grace we're given is eternal when we accept it for what it is. One faith, one baptism, one spirit. So the only reason any spirit-filled Christian would think, quote, I'm not perfect or I'm not worthy is because, A, it's been drilled into them ad nauseum from every angle. Music, in churches so-called, in teaching so-called, it's been drilled in to most people out there. You're not worthy. You're not good enough you're not perfect, never will be. It's a lie. God has so much more for us. God says you are worthy. Or maybe because they don't actually understand the power, authority, and mind of God. Or maybe because they've been convinced to keep a natural understanding rather than leaving off and taking on a spiritual understanding. So today's show, we are going to help us all do that, take on a truly spiritual understanding, know God, who and what he is, and know who we are in God's eyes. It's beautiful. But reality is you cannot say, I'm not perfect, or nobody's perfect, or I'm not worthy. All of those concepts, you can't say that because that all denounces Christ's victory. It minimizes God's work and his mighty power. You can't say that and also say, I'm a Christian. Because as the word says, again, Romans 8, 9, it says, Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you're not a spirit-filled Christian, you're not actually, it's not Christian. It's not. Not according to Romans 8, 9. So once we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ in Nazareth and truly be Christian. The word Christian just means Christ like. So the only way to be Christ like is to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And too many Christian teachers have been talking out of both sides of their mouth for so long. Well, it's time to blast that religious doctrine, get it out of here, and it's time to get the right teaching and start walking in the fullness of Christ. James 3, verse 8, it says, But the tongue can no man tame. For it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Yeah, especially when religious teachers are speaking and supposedly teaching the word, but instead they're teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Yeah, man will always say, you're not perfect, you're not worthy. That's, But that's not God. So the tongue can no man tame. It's full of deadly poison, especially when religious teachers... Are supposedly teaching the Word of God. It says in verse 9, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Okay? It's right here in the Word. We either walk in the fullness of Christ's victory. And do so with the confidence and power and authority of God Almighty. Or not. But make up your mind. Don't be (laughs) wishy-washy. And too many teachers are teaching a wishy-washy doctrine. Wishy-washy word. Well, today, we're setting the record straight. My beloved friends, we are worthy. And when we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, we are perfect. Why? We're complete and whole in God's eyes. Would he put his holy spirit in a less than perfect vessel if god's ways are perfect would he do that no his ways are perfect so of course he created the avenue to perfect us as well when we walk in the holy spirit now we have a really good message from a true apostle this is going to free your soul My beloved friends, if you're watching right now on Facebook or YouTube, please click a new tab in your browser. Go to RadioRemnant.org. This message is incredible. It's going to free your soul in incredible ways. This is from Brother Bob. Now, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he had a television ministry a few decades ago, and this message was recorded then. But again, uh, he was a true apostle, taught how to minister the word by God Almighty. And so this message is incredibly relevant today, and it'll, again, just bless your soul. I'm going to let him do the rest of the introducing. But again, this is our beloved friend, Brother Bob, a true apostle of God. Hello,
2: folks. I had a few letters to come in this last month asking me, saying, why do you sit and talk to us? Why don't you get up and walk around a little bit? Well, why make a spectacle of myself and wear myself out on for no reason at all? Jesus sat down, and begin to teach the people. Folks, for you that are interested, I'm not here to be seen. I am here to be heard. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And I'm here today just to teach you the Word of God direct from the Bible as it is written. That's the only thing that God requires of me or any other teacher or prophet of God. They are not required to do anything but to preach the Word of God and teach how to get you into the kingdom of God Almighty. So bear with me today, folks. Bless your heart. I love you. And I'm going to start in St. Luke 13. You that have your Bibles and would like to take and follow me in the Bible, open your Bibles to St. Luke 13, starting the first verse. There were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, Pilate was the highest judge in the land at that time. He was the one that judged Jesus in front of all Israel. He judged and condemned Jesus to death at the request of Israel. Now, let's elaborate a little bit on this first verse here. There were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood, or who Pilate had had murdered or slaughtered so that he could take their blood and mingle it with their sacrifices. It was a ritual, a devil's ritual. Wherever human blood was sacrificed or is sacrificed, It is not unto God, but it is a devil's ritual. Pilate was a devil worshiper. Many judges today are sacrificing the blood of humans that they are condemning unjustly to prisons and to different things. Even today, I will not elaborate on it, but it is happening right now in this modern generation. Because this land has turned away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bible and morality and everything else that is decent. And they are walking in their own way, doing what seems right in their own eyes. And that includes the judges and the juries of this land today. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose you that the Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? He said, I tell you no or nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now the same fate in this day and age, even today, stands to come against you people out there unless you repent and get right with God. You have no protection except you be in the Lord. I have no protection in this life, in this day and age, except in the Lord. And I know it. That's been my only protection for the last 35 years since I repented and received the Holy Spirit and began to serve the true and living God. He said, Are these 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, thank ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? He said, I tell you no or nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Folks, today is the day of God's vengeance. Today is also the day of salvation, your salvation. It is time for God's people to be taught that they are worthy to repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. I've heard evangelists get up here lately and say, we are not worthy to be saved. Oh, yes, you are according to the Bible. Now, I'm not calling that evangelist a liar, but I am saying they are close to being liars for teaching you false doctrine. That is a false doctrine when they get up and say, you are not worthy to be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That scripture there makes even the sinner worthy of repentance, remission, and baptism. You are worthy to be saved because your body is the temple that God has chosen for the infilling of His Holy Spirit. That makes every sinner and every man, woman, and child worthy to be saved and worthy to have the choice to come to Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And don't you let anybody ever tell you again that you're unworthy to be saved. That's why Jesus came. He sacrificed himself as the sacrifice on the cross to cover every man's sin. Every man, woman, and child has the right and the privilege to come to God and enter into his kingdom forever through repentance, remission, and baptism. Now, I'm putting it awfully straight today, folks, but that's the way it is. I don't care where you are today, whether you're in a bar, in your home, in your office, or wherever you are listening to me today, it is your privilege and your worthiness to come to Jesus Christ now, in this day and age, in this hour. So don't you ever let anybody tell you you're not worthy to be saved. That is a lie of a false prophet or a devil. Don't you believe it? This book says you are worthy. You get you a King James Version of the Bible. You go spend you a few dollars. They cost less than what a LP record would cost you. And you read it for yourself right here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus spake this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why let it cumber the ground or take space in the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dung about it, and dung it, or till I fertilize it one more time. And if it bear fruit, well, if not then, after that, thou shalt cut it down. Do you know what that parable means? God says, I will leave the sinner and the ungodly out there until I have preached my gospel unto him, or her, or them. And then, if they bear fruit, fine. If not, then they shall be cut down or cast into hell. But today, folks, you are worthy to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are worthy to get your own Bible and study it out for yourself. Today is the day of salvation for you. And don't let anybody tell you different. There's a doctrine going through the land that says you're not worthy. Don't you believe it. I repeat, don't you believe it. I want to address the shut-ins today that have been writing me and asking me questions about the gospel. You folks that are bed fast or shut-in or in prison or in jail, you write to me. I will answer you. But you write when you write, you being sincere in your writings. Don't you write just to get somebody to get, send you a letter and get some mail because I won't answer people that are just using me to write letters to them. You write concerning your soul, and you will be answered. Because I love you people. Somebody has to preach the gospel to you, and I will do it, and I have done it. And I will continue to help you in any way I can. But you be sincere. I know who's sincere and who isn't. So does my staff. All right. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, who was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. She was bowed together. Her backbone was frozen in a leaned-over position. And when Jesus saw her, he called her unto him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Now, you see, Jesus saw this woman, and he just called her to him and said, Woman, you are free. God is talking to you people today that have been told that you're not worthy to be saved, you are free. You are free. In the name and through the name of Jesus Christ, he says, you are free. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to be in front of a minister. You only have to know that you are worthy and that you are free and that you can look up wherever you are and say, Jesus, here am I. Accept me as I am now. I come to you. I want to be free. I want to make sure that you know that I have come to you and that I am worthy because you said the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I present my body to you now, Lord, you save me, you fill me with thy spirit, and then I shall glorify you and be glorified forever. That is the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me go a little further here. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, your worst enemies are the religious proselytes today, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. I've had unrighteous ministers when I was in the mission field and in the evangelistic field to tell me after a service, well, Brother Taylor, we won't need your services any longer, because I'd get up and preach the gospel to them and tell them that they were worthy to be saved and healed without a man to intervene. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. And according to the Bible, and according to my experience for 35 years, he is the only mediator between God and man. You do not need a man to mediate for you, to be your mediator. Jesus is the mediator. All you have to do is present yourself to Jesus by calling on his name and receiving his power to be saved. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to go to church or anything like that, because God says in his word, draw yourselves together. But the church building and the church organization is just a place to meet. It is not your salvation. Jesus is your salvation. There's too much religions or too many religions in the world today, and none of them are doing the job and getting people saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why crime is increasing in leaps and bounds this last 40 years, because they've forgotten God and they've forgotten to preach the gospel. The ministers that are ministers today are too busy building their own little kingdoms. hmm Building their own little kingdoms, their own little money-making devices, instead of sitting down and ministering and teaching the people like Jesus did. Uh-huh. He went into the world and preached the kingdom of God to the people until the day he was crucified. And then he came back and spent another six weeks teaching his apostles how to preach and how to write his gospel out by the Spirit, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Lord then answered and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox and his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Don't each one of you go out and lead your livestock to water? Mm-hmm. Well, you see, that was materialistic. They thought anything they did in the material was just all right as long as it didn't have a religious back tone or undertone or overtone. Mm-hmm. He called them hypocrites, and the word hypocrite means actor. And ought not this woman, be a da- being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond... On the Sabbath day, what difference of the day of the week does it make? Now, some of you folk out there worship a certain day. Some of you worship Saturday as the Sabbath. Some of you worship Monday. Some of you worship Friday. Some of you worship different days as your Sabbath day. Well, it doesn't make any difference what you call your Sabbath day. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath also. He is the Sabbath. He is the eighth day or the holy day that God sent for us to worship. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Folks, if you will repent and ask Jesus to come into your life, glorious things will start happening to you. Your mind will be changed. Your life will be changed. Everything will become alive to you or have a meaning to you, a good meaning for a change. Your dope habit will drive, drop off. Your smoking habit will drop off. All your adversaries will back off. Mm-hmm. You will become alive once and for all unto God. I did. I did. Once I said, Lord God, if you are a God, forgive me of my sin and let me die in peace. And immediately, this was over 35 years ago, immediately my life changed and it has been completely changed now for the last 35 years. And I've told millions of people how to have the same love and the same joy and the same peace and the same success that God has given me. My wife is sitting in the studio audience today, smiling at me. And we're going on our third decade of marriage. And she can still sit and smile. She's the only woman in my life. Uh Uh-huh. And she has been given to me by God. We are going on our third decade of marriage. Uh Uh-huh. That's how God can change your life. He can bring you together. Then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like? and whereunto shall I liken it or resemble it. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree or became a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. That's what my life has been like this last 35 years. Like I came from nothing, a tiny seed, which is the word of God, And it has been lodged in my garden, which is my body, the receptacle of the seed, the word of God. And now I have branched out to literally millions of converts for Jesus Christ. And they have branched out. And they have branched out. And their converts have branched out. You understand what I mean? This is the parable of the mustard seed. Folks, once God gets a hold of you, there is no limit to your life. Every breath, every heartbeat, that takes place in your natural body from then on, becomes a great and mighty and glorious thing before God Almighty. Because when your spirit leaves this body, you become omnipotent. You become omnipotent for eternity. You become a mighty and a great glorified body before God for an eternity. And you are worthy to be saved. You are worthy of this honor that God has bestowed upon you through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. Remission means to be blotted out or forgotten or remembered no more. Only the joy and the peace and the love of God remains after your sins have departed. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken, liken the kingdom of God? You see... You enter into the kingdom of God once you repent. You become a member of the kingdom of God. And if you were accounted unworthy, as some evangelists say publicly, then Jesus Christ would not have died for you. He would have not have given his life. God the Father would not have shed the blood of his holy, only begotten Son for your your benefit. Mm -hmm. It said it is like leaven or like Yeast put in flour, which a woman took and hid in three measures a meal till the whole was leavened or until it was mixed well. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It is put within you and it keeps growing and growing and growing. Day by day, year by year, decade by decade, you become greater and greater in the sight of God. Once the word of God, which is the leaven in Jesus Christ is talking about here, the, the key to the parable is his Holy Spirit. That is the leaven of God or the baking powders or the rising element or the yeast of God is his spirit that he puts in you through the word and the worship of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. He said, When once the master of the house has risen up or the resurrection has taken place and hath shut the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He shall answer And saying to you, I know you not whence you are or where you come from. So today is the day of salvation, folks. Now is the day for you to say, Jesus, here am I, Lord God. Save me now and make me worthy of the kingdom of God as you have promised. And I'll guarantee you, your life will change in a moment. You will feel a love and you will feel the weight of sin leave your body and your shoulders instantly if you mean business with God and really want to serve the living God and be saved forever. Folks, there isn't much time left. This world, through man, is almost finished. The signs of the time, like in Matthew 23 and 24, tells us, is almost over. All the signs of the times have come to pass that Jesus said that would come to pass before he returned to retrieve his chosen vessels. Like he said, many are called, but few are chosen. Today, God is calling many of you out there and he has chosen many of you to be in his kingdom and to live in the atmosphere of glory throughout eternity. He said, then shall we begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. That's you religious people out there that have not been taught that Jesus Christ is your Savior and is your God and is the only mediator between you and God. You that have been taught that you're not worthy, that is a lie. Don't believe it because Jesus said, ye shall believe a lie and be damned. That's one that you don't need to believe, folks. You are worthy. Jesus Christ himself has made you worthy because after he hanged on the cross, your body became the temple of the living God. Your body is the temple that God dwells in and does inhabit. Your natural body, this flesh, regardless of what shape you are in physically, or financially right now. He doesn't look at that. He looks upon the heart. And once you change your heart and call on the name of the Lord, then you are more than worthy. He will come unto you and he will sanctify you and he will glorify you and you will be with him in glory throughout eternity. I don't preach heaven because heaven is another lie that the ministers have ministered unto people for centuries. Don't stop at heaven. There's no place in the Bible where it says heaven is a permanent habitation for his people. It says just the opposite. It says, the host of heaven shall fall down. You'll find that in Isaiah. And in the New Testament, the word glory is used 123 times. And Jesus himself said, where I'm at, there ye shall be also. He ascended above all heavens. Peter says the heavens that are now will be burned up in the elements thereof. So you figure on going to glory. Here's what to say. Jesus, save my soul and glorify me as thou art glorified. Pray that prayer, folks, and then you will get somewhere. You will feel the Spirit of God. Well, folks, I see my time is just about gone. I'll elaborate on more on this teaching in other broadcasts. I love you, and I want you to know that I am praying for you. God bless you now, I love you, pray much for me, and goodbye for now.
1: And that was our wonderful friend, Brother Bob, a true apostle, and as you heard, speaking with the full authority of the Holy Spirit, and uh, incredible stuff again. Worth going back and reviewing. This is Get Your Love On Radio. You can go to getyourloveon.org. Every show is archived. This show will be archived as well. Review that as much as you need to. And if all this is new to you, if you have any questions at all, just reach out to us. Go to getyourloveon.org. Again, we have a contact tab and you can ask us your questions just like Brother Bob said. especially when you're sincere, God shows us we have a whole team ready to send you the scriptures to feed your soul the truth of God's word, including, yes, what is that eternal habitation? What does that eternal life look like in God's glory? So a lot of meat packed into that message from our wonderful friend, Brother Bob. And yes, please continue to pray for his ministry. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but it is clearly still going around the globe. Why? Because nothing stops God's word. We have a song now for you. It was recorded live in studio. This is called Doubts and Fears. It's discussing how we are worthy for God's true salvation.
3: One step in the right direction, one step forward now. It's all I need to focus on. No looking back again on things that might have been. Just keep my eyes on him. Say ah. Well, this world will try to rob me. Tell me it's not enough. I'm replaceable But I have a friend In Jesus, I have the Father's love, it's Unconditional So doubts and fears Aren't welcome near My new man I'm washed in water Born again, take those Lies and throw them All away Cause doubts and in water, born again, take those lies and cast them all away, oh, so this is what freedom feels like, nothing can hold me back, I'm never letting go. Thank you, Lord, for giving me your glorious eternity And the Holy Ghost So doubts and fears are welcome near my new man I'm washed in water, born again Take those lies and throw them all away Cause doubts and fears are welcome near my new man What born again Take those lies And cast them all away This world does not believe That a man can be complete But I am perfect, I am free This world does not believe Any man can be complete But I am perfect, I am free I am perfect, I am free so doubts and fears aren't welcome near my new man, I'm washed in water born again, take those lies and throw them all away. Cause doubts and fears aren't welcome near my new man, I'm washed in water born again, Take those.
1: That was Doubts and Fears by Gabriel Bueller, recorded live here in studio. Isn't it wonderful to be free by God Almighty and His Holy Spirit? So yes, we are worthy. Christ instructs us to know that. Why? Because we have an amazing work to accomplish in this life for each one of us as individuals. Each of us are called to be ministers to one another and to those that will listen. Here's our wonderful friend, Corey. He waits on the Lord for each one of these messages to say, Lord, what's the message of the hour? And he does a great job introducing what the Lord's been showing him lately, so I'm going to let him do that. This is our wonderful friend, Corey.
4: Greetings, folks. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, grace, mercy, and peace to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Today's message is entitled, A Ministry to Ministers. Now, the ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is a ministry to ministers. The gospel that Jesus Christ preached, it was not just meant for salvation, it was also meant for every soul that would hear it and receive it and continue on in it to do likewise. So let's start in Matthew 20. We'll start in verse 20. It says thus, Then came to him, or to Jesus, the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. These are the disciples, James and John, that they're talking about. Worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. And they really didn't. We're going to get into that later. So he said, "You, You know not what you ask. But then he turned around and asked them, Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. So even though They did not yet have the full understanding of what that actually entailed, drinking of that cup and be baptized with that baptism. They had the faith for it, and the Lord honored their faith. He says, He saith unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In other words, you will follow in my footsteps and be like me. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father see every soul has a place and a role that's appointed to them by god for his purposes he has a work in all of it and not every place is good and not every role is a righteous one there's a very big picture here god made the whole world and there's a lot of things in this world some are good some are bad now Note that the Lord did not grant James and John their initial request. He didn't, he didn't say, well, I'm going to give this to you that you asked for. But rather, he gave them the choice to partake in what he was given of his father. Said, yeah, you want to be just like me. Here you go. And when the ten heard it, when they heard these, this uh, dialogue here, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. The reason they had that indignation is because, if you read earlier in the scriptures here, it says there had been a contention going on among all the disciples as to which one of them was to be the chief or the greatest among them. There had been kind of this argument, like, who's going to be the greatest one of us all? They probably thought this was some kind of end run around them trying to cheat, see if the Lord could get them to put them in in the first place or whatever. Just a lot of uh, contention that didn't need to be there. So the ten were moved with indignation. So what did the Lord do? He said, But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, my disciples. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many." Now that word minister, in the Greek it means one that runs on errands. It's an attendant or a waiter, like a waiter at a table or in other menial duties. It's basically a servant that's of low or humble rank. That's a minister. Now, notice there's a humility there in that station. That humility is a very key requirement to being a true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's very, very important. Now, beyond that key requirement of humility, the nature of a minister, this estate, Is a total dedication of one's time, effort, and ability to the service of others. Specifically, ensuring that the needs of every soul are fully met. It's a spiritual ministry. For example, using that example of a waiter or a waitress waiting at the table, when you go to a restaurant, what do they do? They greet you. They conduct you in to where you need to sit. They ask you what you'd like to do, like to have, to eat and drink. They make sure you're comfortable. They see to your needs. If you have special requests, they'll honor them to the best of their ability, anything that's reasonable. And they have that sweet interaction with you. They have that smile on their face and whatever sweet conversation there is, they'll enter into that with you. They're there for you. And when it's done properly, There is that sweet interaction between the server and the customer. And when it's all over, that server, when they've given that good service, they get a good tip too. That is their just reward for doing that. They deserve that. But there is that lowly estate because they're there to wait on those that are at table. A minister is much the same way. They're there to fill those needs and provide that comfort to those souls, those hungry souls. So there's a lot to it. So let's go over to 2 Corinthians 9. We'll start in verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous or somewhat excessive for me to write to you. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia, or the region of the Corinthians, was ready a year ago. And your zeal hath provoked many. See, when one sets a good example in being that minister, it provokes or stimulates others to do the same. Now, this is not for a contention to see who's the best servant or anything like that or a competition, but rather it's to stir up the love and care that each part has for the other. And it's to the benefit of all. It's kind of like a positive peer pressure almost. If you want to think of it that way, to stir up the love for one for another. Verse 3: Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, but we, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. So, though Paul here was encouraging the Corinthians in their good example, of their financial generosity towards supporting the work of the Lord, he was also careful to make sure that they had not grown complacent in his absence. That's the, that carnal nature of the, the human makeup. It's, it can slip into complacency and laziness if it doesn't stay stirred up in the spirit. It can slip backwards. And that's what Paul was addressing here. So he said, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. See, Paul was not just concerned with how the state of the Corinthian church would reflect on himself, but more importantly, he wanted to ensure that they would please God by being bountiful rather than displease God by being covetous. That was his concern here. Here's the spiritual safety of this church. And a true minister does do that. They look to what is spiritually safe for their church. If you want to put that in a different context, a true minister looks to what is spiritually safe for their family as well. You can minister to your own family in this. And your own soul. You look to what is spiritually safe for your own soul. You can minister to your own soul by staying in the Word and staying prayed up and staying in interaction with the Spirit of God. The Lord's very broad in His application of His Spirit. But this I say, and this verse 6 here is a very good one to remember. It says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. In other words, when it comes to your walk with the Lord, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. So here's a question you can ask yourself. How much do you want to be blessed by God? You get out of it what you put into it. And I'll give you this encouragement. Just try to outgive God. It can't be done because He wants to bless you. He loves you and He wants to bless you. So you try to outgive give him, he'll give right back. You won't be able to beat him in that competition. Now this, giving, this is for every member of the body of Christ to do. And spiritually, that's where you give first. You give yourself to the Lord. You give yourself to the things of the Lord, the prayer and supplication and in intercession for others, putting your time in, in the Word, paying your tithe and offering. But. Everything that we are to do for the body of Christ is done spiritually first, but it's also done physically, financially, and emotionally as well. Again, the Lord is very broad in his application of his spirit and his works. Verse 7 Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, it's, when it says, as he purposeth in his heart, this literally means to choose for oneself before another thing. To prefer or intend before something else. In other words, we're each given the choice by God whether or not to give. He gives us the free choice to do so, or not to do so. He gives us the choice on the manner in which we give. He gives us the choice on how much we give. And he also gives us the choice on why we give. We'll get into that a little bit later too. He makes us free moral agents before Him to choose to serve Him or not to serve Him, to choose to give or not to give. Mm -hmm. And we're also accountable before God for the choice that we make in each of those things. He gives us the freedom to choose, but He also gives us that accountability for our choices. Mm -hmm. So every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth, a cheerful giver. So when we have chosen to give or to minister to the body of Christ, however God gives us to do it, we are to do it happily and willingly, rejoicing in the benefit it supplies to others. That's how we give. That's what it means to be a cheerful giver. In the Greek, that word cheerful is prompt or willing, merciful, gracious, helpful. Yeah. We are to be a benefit to one another. We're to be gracious to one another in this giving. Now that Greek word is hilaros. This is where we get the word hilarious from. Now you think about that for a sec. It seems like an odd odd thing to put in there in the scriptures. But you know think something's hilarious. There's just that bubbling up of laughter and joy that comes when you see something like that. That's the kind of joy the Lord wants us to have in Minister into his body. That's how he wants us to feel about it. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a joke, but that's the kind of joy he wants us to have. That's the cheerfulness in giving that he wants us to have in being a minister. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency or all contentment in all things, may abound to every good work. See, when our focus is on the Lord and what His mind is concerning every matter, He will not only meet our own needs, but He will also give us the perfect leading in being cheerful givers or cheerful ministers that are a benefit to His people. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Lord said that in Luke 12.34. Yeah, keep your focus there on the Lord and the, those higher things of the Lord And guess what? You will be that cheerful minister because you'll understand the benefit that you're giving to others. Verse 9: As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now, this is a reference to Psalm 112, uh, verse 9. There it's speaking of the good and upright man, one who fears the Lord and delights greatly in His commandments. That's you and me, folks. Spiritually, physically, financially, and emotionally. When we're doing this, that's us. Yeah. And our righteousness remaineth forever when we continue in that. Now, verse 10. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now, in this verse... Paul is referring to Isaiah 55, and he's pronouncing both a natural and the spiritual blessings of God upon the Corinthian church. Why? So that they could continue to abound in their good works towards God. And that blessing, he's saying, it's now. It's happening right now that you're being blessed. Now, the other thing with referencing Isaiah 55 is Paul was also reminding them that every good thing comes from God, not of themselves. I keep a finger here in 2 Corinthians 9, but we're going to flip over to Isaiah 55 for a little bit. We're going to come back to 2 Corinthians 9. Isaiah 55, verse 8. This is what the Lord was saying by his prophet. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give or minister seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. See, the Lord's saying here, it all comes from me, all these good things, but they are to work in you and come out of you to work in others. But it all comes from me, saith the Lord. When God blesses us with the ability and desire to give, or minister to the body of Christ, whether we do it spiritually, or physically, or financially, or emotionally, we're always to remember that it is God that has given that to us in the first place. God gives us that ability and desire to do that, and He gives us the choice to be obedient in that desire. Because you can have a desire and not act on it. The Lord's giving us, He gives us that desire, but we still have the choice to act on it. And the thing to always remember in ministering to the body of Christ is that we are always to hold God in sober reverence because he is the creator and all those good things do flow from him. We are to maintain that great humility before him, not to allow ourselves to get puffed up and think that we're some great one. Always to defer to his spirit and defer to one another as well we're always to be thankful for the good things that he has bestowed upon us. Yeah, always be thankful for what the Lord has provided. And part of that thankfulness too, in being thankful for what the Lord has provided, is providing to others as the Lord gives you the ability to do so. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9. We'll continue in verse 10 here. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower... Both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, or to all sincere generosity, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. See, Paul here, he was letting the Corinthians know that their sincere generosity had an effect on himself also. And it was giving him more reason to give thanks to God. Saying, Your generosity allows me to give thanks to God and have that thanksgiving towards God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints, not only fills the needs of the saints, but it is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. See, ministering to the body of Christ, it doesn't just fill the needs of the moment, that it is what it is to do, but beyond that, It is also the means by which we give thanks to God. It's how we give blessing to God. It's how we give praise to God. It's how we give honor and glory to God. By ministering to his body. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or superabound or excel to the glory of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4.15 to the glory of God. Another place here it says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. That's Psalm 69 verses 30 and 31. See, the Lord is not looking for sacrifices from us. That sacrifice was made on the cross. That's the one that needed to be done and it was done. What he's looking for from us is for us to be like him and to have the same love for one another that he has for us. Yeah, because what? Those good things and those blessings, they come from him. So if we're to be like him, guess what? We have blessings that come out of us to one another also for us to be like him. We bless the Lord when we bless or minister or benefit to one another. We we actually bless God by doing that. And normally when you think of blessings in God, we think of, yeah, they're coming down from God. And they do. But guess what? We can also bless God back by being like Him on this earth, by being the Lord's representatives here on earth. Yeah. Because in blessing God, we're giving Him glory by being a reflection of Him here. We're giving Him honor by being a reflection of Him here. That's how we bless God. When we minister... To one another when we bless one another for the administration of this service not only supplies the want or needs of the saints but it is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto god whilst by the experiment by the test or trial of this ministration they glorify god for your professed subjection unto the gospel of christ now that professed subjection that's an acknowledgement and assent to be in obedience to the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. The Lord himself said that in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, Verse 13 here in 2 Corinthians 9, it says, it's the experiment or the test or trial of this ministration. In giving us the freedom to choose to minister to the body of Christ, the Lord tests and tries every soul to see the depth of their love. How deep does your love go? And he's testing and trying us to see how willing we are to continue in it to the very end. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Matthew 24, 13. See, the Lord isn't requiring us to just do a one and done. It's not you give, give once and we're good to go. Well, the Lord wants us to continue in that. In whatever capacity he's given for us to, to do that. And he wants us to continue in it to the very end. Mm-hmm. till our very last breath, we minister to the body of Christ however the Lord gives us to do it. So, those that we minister to, they glorify God for our professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for our liberal distribution unto them, and unto all men. See, we set that good example, those that we minister to, they get to glorify God, because of our ministry unto them. Mm -hmm. See? See how there's a back and forth? It's not just a one-man show, there's a body ministry there. And here's the good example we set unto all men. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. The Lord says this is the hallmark of you, my true true chosen people. This is how they know if you have love one to another. That's John 13:35. Verse 14: Again, those that we minister to, they glorify God by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. There's that desire to interact with you too. When you're ministering to the body of Christ, the body of Christ will want you to be around. They'll want you to interact with them, and they'll want to interact with you. Mm -hmm. Because, guess what? You're a blessing. Mm -hmm. You're blessing them, and you're blessing God. Verse 15, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. It is the gift of God to the human soul that we can have the sincere desire to minister to one another in love without seeking recompense or payback. Let's go to Luke 14. We'll start in verse 12. Then said Jesus also to him that bade him, he was at a, a dinner, a feast he said to those that bade him when thou makest a dinner or a supper call not thy friends nor thy brethren neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors lest they also bid thee again and a recompense be made thee but when thou makest a feast call the poor the maimed the lame the blind and thou shalt be blessed for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. That's the heart of the Lord. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. That can apply spiritually, physically, financially, or emotionally. This is what God sent us to minister to. The lord said those that are whole need not a physician but they that are sick that's where we were sent that's what we were sent for folks is to heal those that are wounded those that have been damaged those that have, the world has had at them and done everything it can to destroy them that's why we minister to the body of christ that's why we minister to one another we can deliver those out of this world, this dark place, and bring them into peace, into wholeness, to healing, into health in every way, spiritually, physically, financially, and emotionally. That's what we're here for. And there's a God promises here. There's a great blessing in store for those that faithfully perform that ministry. Whatever capacity the Lord has you to do it in, there's great blessings for that. There are also consequences for not doing that. Proverbs twenty one thirteen says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he shall also cry himself, but shall not be heard. Mm-hmm. The Lord is just, and he does see everything. Let's go over to Matthew 25. We'll start in verse 31. This is quite a parable the Lord spake here to his disciples. So when the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, everyone, rich and poor, bond and free, everyone. And He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left." So he separates them out. Sheep on the right hand, goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, the Lord Lord knows you from the foundation of the world and he knows unto which you are appointed. Yeah, so walk in it. Now this is the king of glory, the Lord himself speaking, verse 35. For I was not hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in? Or naked, and clothed thee. Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? In other words, they didn't realize they'd actually done it. The Lord was hidden in that estate. Always remember that. It's not always obvious that it's the Lord you're ministering to. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, even to the least of them, you have done it unto me. When we minister to the body of Christ in whatever capacity, We are to remember who we are ministering to. Those that have the infilling of the Holy Ghost have the Lord Himself within them. This is regardless of race, color, gender, age, nationality, language, social status, occupation, what have you. There's equality across the board when there's the Spirit of the Lord within you. The Lord doesn't look at the flesh. He looks at the Spirit and He looks at the heart. We have to remember who we minister to. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's pretty harsh. But what does he say here? For I was an hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not sick and in prison and you visited me not. Again, there's a very broad application here that can apply spiritually, physically, financially or emotionally. That ministry isn't done and there's a need there. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered or thirst or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Again, they didn't know either. The Lord again, the Lord was hidden. But then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Mm. So There's quite a sobering comparison there. And this is how seriously the Lord takes His ministry, and how seriously He takes it for us to be ministers in His ministry. When we say it's a ministry to ministers, He's teaching us how to be like Him. And He's teaching us to minister as He did unto others. He takes it very seriously whether or not we take that on. That's pretty much our walk in a nutshell. Now what we covered here in Matthew 25. This is why the Lord did not grant the request of James and John back in Matthew 20. Because again, it was the sheep on the right hand that went into life eternal, but it was those goats on the left hand that went away into damnation. Mm -hmm. He actually had mercy on those two disciples by not granting them their request because they did not know what they were asking. It was not appointed for them to be of those on his left hand. They were appointed to be on his right hand and be those sheep that went into life eternal. That's why he turned it around and asked them, can you drink of my cup? Can you be baptized in my baptism? Can you be like me and do my works? And they did. There's quite something there. So the Lord had indignation against those on his left hand, those goats, because they did not live out his gospel, and they did not show his love to those that had need of it, even though they thought they did. They thought they'd done the good works. They believed it. But they hadn't done it according to the, law, the Lord's gospel. They hadn't done it according to His Spirit. They hadn't ministered to those that had need of the Lord's ministry. Mm. See, one can do all kinds of good works, but if it's not the ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it doesn't account for anything. The Lord came here for His purposes, and He put His Spirit in us for His purposes, not for the world and whatever the world considers to be good works. He did it for Himself and for us that are appointed to Him. Now, I'll give you a little homework here as far as this subject goes. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, especially focus on verses 21 and 23 of Matthew 7 touches on this subject a little bit more there. It's very sobering to realize how seriously the Lord takes our ministry, each of us individually. So we are to walk in it with that soberness. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. We are to be diligent in our ministry to make sure that we are doing everything the Lord wants us to do and not take it for granted that we have done everything the Lord wants us to do. We are to keep pressing in and seeking the Lord. Is there anything else, Lord? Where do I need to be, Lord? Who do I need to talk to, Lord? What work do I have to do here, Lord? Now, yeah. And the Lord will guide you in it. Mm-hmm. He will. So we are also to perform our ministry for God's glory, not our own. Let's go over to Matthew 6. Now, here in Matthew 6, the Lord did hit on the religious spirit a few times. Uh, we're not going to go through the whole chapter. We're just going to go through the first few verses here, starting in verse 1. He said, Take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. There's no reward of your Father. There is a reward for doing things this way. We're going to touch on that. because there's no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now that alms, when you're doing your alms, that's your compassionateness. You're showing compassion, you're doing works of mercy and compassion to the human soul. Whether you're doing it in a spiritual sense, a physical sense, a financial sense, or an emotional sense. Yeah, you're showing that compassion, you're acting on it, and you're blessing that soul that needs the blessing of God in their life. That's what those alms are. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, Do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You know what their reward is? It's the vain glory of men. The world looks at them and thinks they're some great one. But they also have the indignation of God upon them. That's the other side of that coin. Mm -hmm. They have a temporary reward, but they also have a eternal reward, if they don't repent of it and get right with the Lord. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now, this does not mean we have to go out of our way to conceal our good works. We don't have to like make a big fuss about trying to hide whatever we're doing we simply do what the Lord puts in front of us to do without any fuss. It all comes down to The Lord gives you an unction to bless someone, do it. The Lord gives you an unction to go somewhere, speak to a soul, do it. You know, just follow that unction that He gives you by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. Now, I said earlier that the Lord is not looking for sacrifices from us. Now, what I meant by that was that The Lord paid the price of transgression and made atonement for us on the cross. He made that sacrifice on the cross. We're going to go to Romans 12. And we'll start here in verse 1, which reads thus, That I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When he's talking about sacrifice here, what I said earlier about the Lord not looking for sacrifices from us, we don't have to punish ourselves. We don't have to flog ourselves or harm ourselves for mistakes. We don't have to go there. That sacrifice was made for that transgression. The Lord covered all of it. Our sacrifice today is the total dedication of our life to the ministry of the body of Christ. That's our sacrifice. And the Lord considers that to be our reasonable service to him. Because it is thanksgiving for the sacrifice he made for us. The sacrifice that he made on the cross, our sacrifice, our reasonable service towards him in our life is our thanks to him for making that sacrifice. I'll keep a finger in Romans 12. We're going to go over to Mark 12 for a bit. We're going to come back to Romans 12, though. Mark 12, 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And that's, that's just fine. That is what they were supposed to do. They were doing what they were supposed to do. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. Just a few cents. And he called unto him, his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Notice all those people that were going by, putting their money in. He didn't look at who put in the most, as far as amount wise go. He looked at who put in the most, spiritually speaking. That's what he looked at. hmm It says, for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Yeah, that state of a widow, that's quite something before the Lord. I saw a vision a few days ago about a widow that I know. I happen to know personally. And I saw her standing in the Lord's hand. He just had his hand out and she was just standing there, standing there alone. And I sat there for a while just watching to see if the Lord was going to show me anything else with that. And it didn't change. It was just her standing in the Lord's hand alone. The Lord was holding her up. That was the point he was making. She stood alone and he held her up. So that's the estate of that widow, those certain ones that are among us. So please remember that estate, because that is the ministry to which some of us are sent, is to minister to that soul and fill their needs, take care of them. The Lord holds her up, but she is alone. Help has to be there. Lord just wanted me to bring that up. There's a spiritual significance to that. But the point the Lord was making here is that widow, who's completely dependent on Him, on the Lord, and she put in everything that she had into Him. Everything she had spiritually, she put into Him, His ministry. Everything she had, physically, she put into him. Everything she's had, financially, she put into him. Everything she had, emotionally, she put into him. So remember that estate. That's where God wants us to be. That's the gold standard. So Let's go back to Romans 12. We'll continue in verse 2. It says, Be not conformed to this world. Don't take the shape of this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, when a soul has repented of sin and the old ways, when they've been baptized under holy hands for the remission of sins, when they've been filled with the Holy Ghost, when they've continued on unto perfection in the fivefold ministry of the body of Christ, they have undergone that transformation. They've undergone that metamorphosis that allows them to be the good, acceptable, and perfect minister that God wants them to be. In other words, they've gone from being in the world and like the world to coming out of the world and being like God. There's a transformation and there's a process that has to take place. And there is a specific procedure God expects us to follow. Acts 2.38 lines it out quite well, how to, how to start there. Mm-hmm. Now, the entire chapter of Romans 12, it is very good teaching on how to conduct oneself as a true minister in the body of Christ. We're not going to go through it for the sake of time right now. We'll hit on some important points, but read it for yourself. It's good homework. So, some important points here in Romans 12... Verse 3, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Always keep that humility before God, before his spirit. Very important. Have that lowliness of mind and deferring to the spirit of the Lord. Yeah. And receiving what the Lord has in everything. Verse 5, we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. In other words, it's a body ministry. The body of Christ is a body ministry. It's not a one-man show. There is an order to it, yes, because there has to be a leadership structure in place. But it's not a one-man show. It's each member of the body. Like the human body, that's a reflection of the body of Christ, a natural reflection of the spiritual body of Christ, how all those different organs and parts work together to feed into the whole. That's that's it right there. Verse 8, He that giveth... For he that ministers, let him do it with simplicity. In other words, with that sincere generosity, without pretense, and without self serving motives. Yeah, do it with a pure heart. When you give, when you minister, do it with a pure heart. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, love, our love is to be sincere, unfeigned, without faking or acting. Yeah, have that genuine love one for another. Also in verse nine, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Associate with the spirit of God, not with other spirits. Because every spirit that a person is around, those spirits have influence. If you're around evil spirits, they can have an evil influence on you. So stay around the good, wholesome, pure spirit of God, and you'll have that good influence around you. Mm -hmm. Verse 11, not slothful in business, When the Lord gives you a ministry to perform, don't be slow or lazy in it. Yeah. Don't rush into it headlong. Wait on the Lord and let him lead you. But don't be slow or drag your feet in it. Or do a half-baked job. Do a full, perfect job in it. Mm -hmm. Verse 12. Patient in tribulation, continuing instant or constantly diligent in prayer. Always stay prayed up. Just pray, 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 pray to the Lord. Use your tongues. That's a gift of God. 1 Corinthians 12 covers the gifts of God. Yeah. Pray to the Lord for everything that you need and for his leading. And for others too. Now be patient in that tribulation. Don't let yourself be provoked. Just stick with it and do it until the end. Verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Have that unity with the body of Christ. If there's discord, that means there's another spirit at play that's not of God. The body of Christ, when it's just the Spirit of the Lord, there will be unity and agreement. Verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in a nutshell right there. That's what we're here to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not your own, his righteousness and all these things that you those things that you have need of they shall be added unto you that's a promise the lord himself made so put the lord first and he will take care of you your needs will be met Mm -hmm. fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom that's all i have for today lord bless you much Go forth as ministers of the true gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Set that good example, because you don't know who the Lord's gonna put in your path in a day. And stay faithful, and His blessing will be upon you. Thank you, and uh, bye for now. I
5: just have something to back up everything that you just ministered, Cory, just in Philippians chapter two, verse two. It says, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vainglory and of course there's none of that in the unity of the spirit when we're all in one accord there's no strife or vainglory but in loneliness of mind let each other esteem other better than themselves look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father and you know jesus of course he knew what his purpose coming to us was yet he still was that incredible um perfect example of that humility and humbleness in doing the job that he had to do and doing it with great with great joy he knew the scope of it but uh, it didn't it didn't stop him from being the most meek and humble on the planet so um, just to back back that up isaiah 40:17 says all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity and thus saith the lord unto my people yea indeed the substance of this world indeed the money and the time and the fruitless things that I count even indeed as less than nothing. Indeed, is it not a hilarious thing that by giving away less than nothing, I will reward you with things even eternal and great and everlasting? See, so yea, my people, take great joy knowing that by getting rid of what is less than nothing, I can indeed give you my eternal blessings.
1: And there you go. What an incredible message. What an incredible work of God that we got to hear that. Now, what you heard at the end there was because Corey ministered beautifully, because he was taught by a true fivefold ministry, because he knew that what he was speaking of was by the Holy Spirit with the full authority of God and then the other two men that came after him they've been taught likewise that they are worthy to walk in this beautiful vocation of being ministers for Jesus Christ of Nazareth so they felt that confidence from God almighty to offer what they had and that was scriptures and exhortation and prophecy. Now, if that's the first time you've ever heard prophecy, prophecy is God Almighty speaking through an anointed vessel chosen by the Holy Spirit. And we give ourselves to that through the Holy Spirit. So just an incredible orchestration there, and a beautiful example of how souls minister in different ways according to each one of our own personalities, and according to what God has given us. So what an awesome show. I hope that you've enjoyed it and recognize how worthy each one of us are to walk in that fullness of God's great love, His great mercy, and His great gifts for each one of us. Because yes, we are worthy for that. So if you'd like to get baptized, if you've maybe been baptized, but you're not sure if, you're f- if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, please reach out to us. We will connect you to the family of faith around the globe, whether you're in London, Russia, Belgium, Virginia, Georgia, Arkansas, doesn't matter. Wherever you are, the Lord will meet you exactly where you are, and you can get baptized and filled with that Holy Spirit so you can walk in that fullness of Jesus Christ in Nazareth and receive all of the beautiful promises. So if you'd like to get baptized, please reach out to us. Go to getyourloveon.org to do that. You can also go to getyourloveon.org. You heard Corey say to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Well, you can also go to our YouTube channel where we have all these incredible 10 to 15 minute long uh, videos on the Sermon on the Mount that really build our faith in God and build our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Really is, he's awesome. So go to either YouTube and put quotations around "Get Your Love On," and then all those videos will come up. And also, most importantly, if you have any prayer requests, please reach us. Reach out to us at getyourloveon.org. We're here to feed your soul and to make sure that you can walk in all the newness of life that God has for you. Well, since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. We'll be back next week with more incredible knowledge for each one of us. And, of course, you can always go to getyourloveon.org and access show archives. Hope to hear from you soon. Lord bless you mightily.
0: If I were you And I'm a simple singer But my heart and mind are strong I keep my love on Yes I do You must dream in color Ask your questions Cause life does not give honorable mentions Think in more than two dimensions In case your tightrope loses tension I'll be here if ever you need a friend Mm, You know I will And I'll be here too To lend a friendly you